everyone. Welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 59. But before we get too far into it, we do want to take a second to thank our sponsors. First up, we have StickerFied. StickerFied.com. They made a wonderful sticker for us, and they want to do the same for you. Make sure to head over to StickerFied.com. Next up, we have No Love City. No Love City, the home of the official full-color Urban Robot Cat t-shirt. You can use the code UrbanRobotCat at checkout, and you receive 10% off your order. Next up, we have SD Prints, sdscreenprinting.net, where you can get some wonderful screen printed product to sell in your own store. Make sure to head over to sdscreenprinting.net and check out all they have to offer. Finally, we have TYO Toys, tyotoys.com, where you can get some wonderful DIY product to put your own original spin on or just have a cool toy for your desk. Make sure to head over to tyotoys.com. Chris, what have you been up to the past week since we've been gone? Had some good stuff as far as art stuff. My all my pieces from the um, foundation show that sold out sold pretty much. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Pretty much sold all the bricks uh, that they released for the weight project. I think there was something else art wise related, but it's, it's always weird. Like my art life goes good, but then my personal life is crap. So right after to together, no, it just can't. It just can't. So unfortunately, right after we recorded the last week i had to have i had to rush my mom to the uh hospital for covid um so she's been in the icu for about a week now with the uh, covid thank you for everybody who reached out to me and, and knew about it you know and uh you know i appreciate all the uh the pma and all the the positive thoughts um i could still use them because you know she's definitely not out of the weeds or anywhere near it yet but i think that was it i think um I, there was something else art wise i'm drawing a blank I think you sold a cub. I did. I did. I, I sold the uh, the custom painted cub that was uh, you know released by uh, UVD Toys. The Mike Fudge cub that was fun as hell to paint. So that was pretty awesome. What about you, Corey? Well, today I packed up all the pieces from the misappropriated icon show, so all those have gone off to their new homes. And it it seems washi tape is a thing. Designer washi tape. So. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. We, we we sold out of my designs uh, the first day, right? Yeah, the first like hour, I think all yours were gone. That's um, pretty awesome. Yours went the fastest. Chris is a sellout, is all I've heard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That, that's it. Yeah, Chris's went the fastest. Uh, zeros almost all gone. I think Dokubi's in third place, and then Nikki Davis is is cutting it pretty close to fourth. Uh, but they, they've all been selling really well. I, I'm surprised we sold any. I don't know why. Um, I was excited at first, and then I thought maybe it was a bad idea, but it turned out it was a good idea. So um, we'll keep with the washi tape. We didn't get all the ones from the artists that submitted or the, the first round finished in time, so we'll do that as like a series two and um, try to add some more. I realized that I missed a response from Flying Fortress about saying, yeah, definitely do one. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> didn't see his message back really so, series three coming soon yes oh, yeah. so hopefully we can get him in there um because yeah. that'd be sick he's a good dude uh but that's pretty much it what about you travis uh it's been kind of a kind of a busy week at uh, uvd first off we uh we're doing the raffle for the four foot bear champ um a collector that had originally purchased it's had some uh, life-changing events that um are making it to where he uh, is not able to, um, you know, maintain it in his home anymore. Um, so he came to us and said, Hey, you know, is this something you'd be interested in doing? And, uh, we thought it'd be a cool way to give, uh, collectors of, you know, JC Rivera's work a chance to buy in at a low, lower price. I mean, it's still a decent amount of money to risk on a raffle, you know, it's 70 bucks a piece. Um, but, uh, a chance to own something that's worth way more than $70. So, you know, it's a, you know, it is a it is a risk, but uh, you know, fans have been really appreciative of the opportunity to be able to buy something like that. Um, so, you know, it's been going well. We've sold almost half of the half of the entries. Uh, it's two hundred. It's a two hundred entry, um, you know, cap. Um, so it's been uh, it's been pretty cool to see the reaction to that. Um, you know, at first we were kind of like, well, people might dig it or they might not, and uh, you know, it's doing as it's doing pretty well for two days on the on the market here. So. If you're a fan, uh, head over to uvdtoys.com and you can purchase your your ticket there. Um, and we'll we'll draw that when we get to the 200 entries. So 
hopefully, uh, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks that'll be be done and we get it drawn and get it out to the people. Uh, for people listening that may be considering purchasing, that also includes uh, U.S. shipping. So if you are buying it at 70 bucks and you live in the United States, if you win, it will be delivered to your door um, without any additional, you know, cost uh, associated with that. Oh, that's not bad. I almost entered and I thought I saw, I read that like local pickup or something. If you're in Florida, it'll be shipped to you. If you live in Chicago and want to pick it up, you could pick it up or, uh, you know, we can get it, get it over to you uh, some way. Uh, if you're international though, we do unfortunately have to figure out a way to get that to you and uh, we'll have to you know charge a shipping fee um, just because obviously that's going to be a lot of money. <laughs> but if you're in the U S um, it's uh free shipping included with the, um, you know, with the $70 entry. So, well, shit, I need to buy my entry ticket then. <laughs> Corey's in the strange cat gallery. There's just like a giant <laughs> four foot. You've got plenty of room in there for, for a four foot bear champ. <laughs> well, I, I just, I just love that. You said he had a life change, AKA his wife don't want it in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, it's uh, it's great to be able to offer that to, you know, fans and everything. Um, and it, you know, it's still just cool that we were able to even get those made and that people, you know, wanted to buy them. I believe there are seven of them altogether. Um, so that's still pretty, pretty cool that they even exist. Um, so, you know, it's 2021, you know, hopefully we can keep doing more cool, bigger stuff in the future. But, uh, right now that's the biggest thing we've got. So <laughs> it's still cool that they're out there. And then, uh, also, um, if you're listening to this, this, this week, uh, we will be launching the first, uh, I guess I could call it series following, uh, uh, Corey's lead here of, uh, the UVD lifestyle pillows. Um, they're 18 inch pillows designed by Dirk Cobain, JC Rivera, Woes and Atomic. So we have four designs that we're going to be posting. Um, they'll be up at some point this week. They may be up before you're listening. We haven't settled on a date yet, but, uh, they definitely will be coming out this week. So, Really excited to get those out and give fans, uh, you know, a way to incorporate artwork into their home in a different way than just a, a toy. Um, so excited to get those out and hopefully fans respond to those. Wait, well. wait a minute. So it's not Atomico? It's Atomic? <laughs> Atomico. <laughs> Sorry, inside joke, guys. Sorry, my bad. So, but, you know, that's what we've been up to over here, you know, and then just trying to get some projects rolling. We've got a whole bunch of stuff that's all kind of in various stages, but uh, we did learn this week that Scribe is done at the factory and we'll be getting on the boat as soon as possible, which means that we might have it by the summer. So <laughs> uh, we're excited to get the rumpus completed and uh, get that vinyl figure over here and get it out to the fans. Um, so. We might do a pre-order soon. I haven't really decided what we want to do. Um, if we're going to do a pre-order, just wait. But uh, we're hoping to get that OG colorway out to uh, out to fans and get things kind of rolling uh, for that release because we're excited to get those figures out. Nice. That's uh, basically it for UVD. So I think it is time for us to introduce our guest for the week. Uh, he's an artist that many of you may know from his murals, and that is the one and only Turtle Cap. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So before we get too far into talking to you, let's go ahead and have you give everybody that may not know who you are a little bit about who you are and what it is you do in the world of art. Well, I'm an artist from Queens, New York, born and raised, and um, I've come out of graffiti. And now I'm mainly known for my character Turtle Caps, which is a spray cap, a turtle cap, shell matchup. Um, for anybody that wants to check out my work more, you can uh, hit me on Instagram uh, at Turtle Caps, one word, like turtle and spray cap, Turtle Caps. Were you somebody that was always creative, even from like a young age, or was this something you kind of developed into kind of later in life? At an early age, I had people around me that were real deal graffiti writers. So at like 14, I'm seeing these guys doing all this stuff and thinking, hey, I can be like that one day. So put in my work and made the right connections and ultimately came out of graffiti to, to where I am today. Who were some of those artists, if you don't mind? In the early stages, I was kind of like the little brother around these guys. My true mentor was Jones. Um, he never really quite made it anywhere, but he knew a lot of people and he introduced me to, to artists like Sane, Cost, SP1, uh, Free 5. I mean, 
a lot of the guys from Queens at the time that were really going in uh, on graffiti. So then when I got my own kind of identity and my own style, as I got older, I started hanging out in the Bronx a lot with like, yes, two part TES, um, SES, uh, bomb five and most wanted crew. So I really had like this weird style, like Queens writers are kind of known for a rounder kind of letter form more flowing and Bronx guys are kind of like sharp with lots of pointy arrows everywhere. So growing up in Queens under the influence of all those guys and then hanging out, you know, when I was coming into my age and my own style with the Bronx guys, I had like this round style of letter form with lots of arrows that were sharp. So I kind of had a melding of the two together uh, for, for a while. It's a true New York melting pot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Bronx, Queens to Bronx. It wasn't a wasn't a short train ride that much. Well, those are all those are all huge like guys in the scene. I mean, come on, sane. Yeah, yeah. To begin with, I mean, Bomb Five. I mean, those guys were foundations of that era. Graph. So I, I found like I was really in the right place at the right time to to be around such talented people. And you know, a lot of them are legends, like Part TDS, like my homie Enrique. He, he's you know top of the game he's still doing stuff now better than other people so it's like you know a lot of these names have taken it pretty far uh even with the transition from graffiti to the art world like you know sp1 also has his artistic side of him where he, he does really well and you know you know cost and he's kind of crossed over to doing some gallery stuff here and there or you know they i, I feel blessed to have hung out with him, especially uh, the, the few times that I was able to, to watch Sane um, do pieces. Sane was like a real style master back in the day. You know, to this day, he holds weight even all these years after his passing, but really influenced me and like gave me a, a, a bit of encouragement to, to do my thing at the time. So uh, being a little kid, you know, I'm in awe. It's like meeting your favorite celebrity or something. You just don't want to mess it up so that they don't get pissed off, you know? Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, he 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 definitely I mean, one of my favorite pieces ever is that American flag piece that he did down uh, at ABC yeah, No Rio. And his brother too, Smith. I mean, Smith has been there right next to him uh through all the years and carrying his carried his name on many years after he passed. So yeah. the same Smith kind of legend of like are they brothers is it one guy like wow who are these people um yeah well the great thing about smith was he he changed it up so much too i mean he went you know you know doing tunnels to then doing freights like before yeah. anybody was doing freights i mean it is he he was he was he still is good at like changing it up and kind of being in, in the forefront of it definitely he had, he had a lot of different you know, aspects that he touched on graffiti wasn't just like a one hit wonder, you know, yeah. <laughs> nice pizzas and everything. You know, I never met him back in the day with those few times that I hung out with his brother um, until maybe, I guess, seven years ago, Free uh, Five and I had went to Lady Pink's place and he came home and I just briefly had got to meet him there, but I never wanted to say anything about, you know, I was mm. just like, hey, what's up, you know? nice to meet you kind of thing. But after all those years, now we're kind of friends. So it was cool to like relive a couple of experiences that I told him about his brother, that he was actually at one or two of those and had like left prior to me coming. So um, it was pretty cool to catch up with him now and be friends. Cause like back in the day with graffiti, these guys that are all stars, they don't want to be your friends. There wasn't like, <laughs> you know, Chris, like, I know <laughs> I'm sure like, cause of the, just, I'm just speaking from a New York point of view like people were more likely to rob you if you come say hello to them that you like their stuff than be like oh thank you like it is now it's a much well, different yeah well acceptance it, of it. it's kind of funny like i i talk about this with some people and it's like you know back then you know when you came across somebody who you thought wrote you know you you'd say you know you write and it was like a very low-key thing <laughs> nowadays these fucking kids, they're like, here's my Instagram. Here's my Twitter. Here's my everything. I am an artist. Look at me. You know, and it's just like fucking nuts to me. I don't know. It's definitely different. Um, it's, it's, a, I'm, it still shocks me some days. Like, you know, I talk to like uh, BG183 a lot. We've become mm -hmm. friends in the past 10 years. 
but like BG would have never talked to me in, in the early nineties when his tats crew just on another level, you know, but here we are friends now because it, so there's some positive out of that, you know, like I get to hang out with, you know, tats and people like this that would have never hung out with me before, um, as a stranger, you know, unless you're introduced to somebody, a friend of a friend, but it really does like amaze me. Like, Hey, uh, you know, you write just like straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Hit me on uh, Instagram at this. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I, I got pins for sale. <laughs> hey, I like pins, you know? Okay. No, I, no, I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is right now. Right. No. Uh, hey, look, it's, it's a different ball game nowadays. So when everybody can be a writer, I've seen like people do pieces in their backyard and like put a trash can next to it one day and flick it from a different angle and then be like, Oh, I did another piece, but like move that cash, you know, put some out rocks over there and make <laughs> flick it from above. And it's like another piece. You're like, wow, this guy does a lot of pieces. Well, he just did 30 in his backyard, but yeah. Yeah. yeah those, those, are the, cool. those are the guys with the killer pieces, but the horrible hand style. Right. Right. You could always tell a, a true writer if they have good hand style. And like with everything, it's an evolution. And in some ways it's better because it's more accepted by the layman. You know, like before people were like calling cops on me and now they're asking me to do a mural there. So, you know, it has its, its plus and, and minuses in that aspect. So with your early inspiration, does at what point do you you know, kind of transition from your graffiti into like your more professional side of things and you're kind of running different aspects of, uh, you know, galleries and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of happened in 2008. Um, I was a businessman. Well, first of all, I, I went to school, uh, for English of an English composition degree, uh, from Fordham. And after that, I went into the editorial world, working for a bunch of magazines. I was managing editor at High Times for a while. I did some uh, side work for XXL and The Source. And I was really, you know, stuck in that world of journalism for five years. Uh, then uh, I just couldn't take it anymore uh, and, and decided I needed a different path. I was really big into collectibles, um, like mini busts and statues and stuff like this, Simpsons figures. And I had it through my time at high times I had amassed all these collectibles and thought, Hey, maybe I can get into the world of selling collectibles. Cause this is something I've been like a, a little small passion project of mine. And in the beginning, I just was like hustling, trying to get it secondhand, but then it started working and I was making money. So I, I, you know, got my, my tax ID licenses, opened up a business and then started getting wholesale from different companies like Hasbro, NECA, stuff like this. All of a sudden I am a businessman with a bunch of employees, a store, a warehouse, making lots of money, but having no time for my life. Um, you know, near the end of it, I made like two monster deals with Microsoft for my own exclusive halo figure and Hasbro, for my own transformer statue. And it just took off, but the amount of time I had to put into that and all these other people's, you know, livelihoods of my employees on my shoulders, I was going gray in my thirties. So I decided like art was always a passion for me. Somebody had come to my house and, um, you know, said like, Hey, there's this art show in Manhattan, you know, like, I think I could get you into it. If you're interested, uh, let me know. So I'd like, been decorating my own apartment for years. Like, oh, I want a, you know, Jedi Starfighter on my wall on a canvas. And I just painted myself. Um, and the guy was impressed with what I had, invited me to this art show. I did some like hokey, like four different paintings uh, with a sort of a meaning behind them, like uh, animal extinction was one and stuff. And three of them sold and I made some money. And I was like, I think there's something in this, you know? Um, so, I sat down one day and I kind of like, it was hanging out and somebody came over to my house and was like, yo, your boy that used to write so-and-so was making mad money doing street art. And I'm like, what's street art? <laughs> you know, like 2008, I've just been running a toy store for 10 years, previously working at high times. Like, I have no idea what this is. Let me use the interwebs and find out. So I Googled it <laughs> and I see pretty uh, murals of pretty girls murals of animals and pets and stuff like this and then like the third thing that came up was like characters 
And I'm like, ah, man, look at this. These people use spray paint. Like, it was just a weird concept to me because all I ever knew with spray paint was you know. Um, so I said, oh, maybe I could do this. Let, let me make up a let me make up a character, you know. And I just started doodling, making a few different characters. And then I was like, well, let me try this one. I got the turtle shell. Originally, it had like some Mickey Mouse looking feet. I put that on, threw a wind up on it, and a spray cap to represent like my graffiti career. And I was like, this thing looks funny, you know. Some kid came over and was like, hey, you want to go to, a, this was on Halloween night. So he was like, you want to come to this Halloween party? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, what, this? He's like, yeah, that thing is cool, the shell and everything. Like, can I buy that? I'm like, what do you mean can you buy that? It's like just something I doodled as a joke in response to like what street art is, you know? Um, but he, he bought it off of me, you know, for 150 bucks. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you know, maybe I should just run with this thing. And, you know, I, I was doing it just really basic for the first year, the, the main character. And then one day it just hit me, like, looked like an ice cream cone. So I started making ice cream cones, and pasting them all around the LES. And, like, this before Instagram, so, like, Facebook was, like, the thing. And this started popping up on people's, uh, you know, uh, feeds on Facebook. Like, oh, look at this cute little muffin I found and stuff like this. And I'm like, okay, people are, people are into this. And then I just started developing it. Like, what can I change this thing into uh, to a point today where I'm, I've been full-time for, for many years now. So it was a struggle to get there, but to put in the work and then to, to be able to, you know, like the past year I've been just swamped with private commission for people um, and popping out to do the occasional mural, but to be blessed, to be able to have people appreciate my art and, and spend the money to, to decorate their place or, and stuff or buy my merch. I do a decent amount of merch nowadays. Um, you know, it's truly, I feel, I feel grateful for that, uh, especially in this like, you know, financial climate with uh, the economy, the way it is through Corona and stuff like people losing their houses and, you know, so I've, I've definitely put in a lot of work to get where I am. And I still have a lot more work to, to put in to get where I want to be. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear kind of the, you know, kind of, you see the, the artist and then now to hear the story behind how they came up with the idea and how, you know, like how it kind of like you kind of run with something, you know, like, cause I think when people kind of first start out, they, they struggle to find their voice or what they want to do. And I think they look at somebody that's been doing it for, you know, 10 years or something and they assume, well, I should be able to come up with that design. Like the first time I ever drew a, a picture, you know, kind of a thing. And, you know, to hear somebody kind of like tell their story is always good for people. Yeah. You know, I don't tell that story too much because it's become a thing now where turtle caps is recognized. So to, to kind of give you the backside of it, where I made it up as a joke in response to street art being corny because I'm a graffiti writer, <laughs> it doesn't have that glorious, you know, spotlights on it where I came up with the creativity of it to do it uh, as a serious thing. But I mean, it, that's sometimes how, where the genius comes by accident, I guess. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, you knew elements that you wanted to include and you kind of pulled those together and you put them in a, together in a new way that people hadn't seen before. And then people reacted to it, you know? Yeah. Um, th that's a good point because you know, the, the turnkey on it isn't just like I saw something with a turnkey and I put it on. It actually represents the way graffiti writers go bombing. Cause you have these little toys and you wind them up and it goes to the left then it makes a right and it goes backward and it's hopping all around. When you go out bombing in graffiti, it's like, oh, look at that spot. And you climb across the street and you climb up and they're like, oh, look over there. And you go to the right three blocks and you do a van and then you say, oh, look over here. So that kind of represented my past in a way that people don't really realize. It's just like, it's not just a, you know, secondhand thought. Like, I'll take this and I'll take that. I actually kind of pieced it together in a way where it sort of represented me, maybe accidentally or subliminally in my own mind, you know, but I'm not like that outgoing as the graffiti writer. So the shell kind of protects me from all this. And, you know, it, it, it does have a, a deeper meaning, whether it be subliminal or not. You know, like I did focus on putting it, it was a mockery of it, obviously, that I've embraced and it's become a career. So I couldn't, you know, be more happy that people are receptive to it. And I feel maybe 
it's mainly due to uh, the creativity that I take and try to expand on always. Instead of just doing the same thing, I take that one character and I flip it into an underwater scene where I'm painting sea turtles and that's a coral reef or, you know, it's a monkey in the jungle or a bird or a fish tank or a mummy. Like, you know, the possibilities are really endless for it. So it's been fun to do as I've been on this like personal journey with it uh, along the way, you know, starving or successful, you know, it's something that I could like embrace and, and enjoy. So. With, with the, the sea turtles, you did, um, didn't you do that one project down in Mexico? Uh, yeah. The Akumal arts festival. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a small town right outside Tulum, but they're just, you know, dedicated to the arts and, the past few years, they've been doing a mural festival down there. My friend uh, Sind had gone and painted, and he kept telling me, hey, man, you should apply. This like right up your alley. Um, and I did, and they just took me right away. I mean, it's a real community kind of thing. I was able to, like, I mean, you know, not to get too sidetracked with it outside of doing, like, a giant mural on the highway. Uh, they have a, a big sea turtle uh, reservation there where they protect the nests, and every day, my girl and I were going down to check out to see if we could see a, a nest hatch. And we were always late because I'd been finished with them, you know, that day's work on the mural. And then we go to dinner and then it's, we get there and they're already hatched. But one night they gave us a call and because we had been going there every day, they called us at like midnight and they're like, hey, there's one going down, ran down the beach. And I was able to, uh, when baby sea turtles are born, they follow their way to the water by the moon. So that night was cloudy and they were, uh, the scientists there, like, let me pull out my cell phone and play the moon. So I was like walking backwards really slow, like 20 feet as I had 30 little baby seed turtles following me. It was pretty epic. That's uh, awesome. Not for nothing. Um, and you know, that it kind of fit my motif as in for the past few years, because I used to mainly, you know, the first maybe five or six years, I was doing a lot of more fun stuff. Like, turning it into a transformer, turning turtle caps into Dragon Ball Z or something pop culture. But as I started getting a little bit more, I guess if you say fame um, and opportunities and stuff, I started thinking I should maybe head in a different direction of where I used to do the more conscious art. You know, like when I got my very first shot in an art show and did like an animal extinction painting, you know, something that's like real important to me. Like I've been recycling for many years you know, no, no one use plastic, um, before it was like trendy. So as I got more shine, I, I started moving towards doing like really nice underwater scenes, um, with sea turtles and, and marine life to kind of bring awareness of like, Hey, look, like if we don't start making changes in the planet, that's not going to be around for much longer. You know, like half the ocean is polluted and it's humongous. So that just doesn't fare well for future generations. So if I can like, leave one little piece behind where it might be, you know, subliminally environmentally, uh, you know, conscious, then I'll, I'll mix in my pop culture with this stuff. And, you know, it got me a, a all expenses paid trip to, to Mexico and a few, <laughs> you know, the next year, the, the Tulum uh, art festival also was going to ask me to come paint down there, but that got canceled because COVID last year and everything. So, mm. um, I'd really like to like head a little bit more in that direction with my mural work. It's uh, the canvases that I get a lot now are for my underwater scenes. Uh, it guess it transcends the pop culture stuff. Like if I'm doing Iron Man and you hate Marvel comics or you're a yoga mom, you're not going to buy that. <laughs> but <Right. laughs> when you have like a nice ocean scene with a sea turtle and there's like a turtle caps mixed in there subliminally that you don't even see, you just see the beauty of the art. So. I get a I get a decent amount of commissions for this type of uh, subject matter. Nice. So just trying to play my part. I mean, I've always, like I said, I was always big on recycling and stuff, but it's become like hip and everything now. So if I could take it to the streets in my career, like might as well. Now you, um, with the Turtle Caps character, you produced a resin figure a few years. Well, it's a while ago now because I remember when you. You were putting together the show, and you wanted me to 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 paint one. The Entrement Show. Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> a long time ago now. I mean, yeah, it's like 2015, I think. Um, that's about right. Yeah. 
it's weird because like this year and last year are almost seem like a wash off the, the face of the universe. Like those years never even happened, right. you know? Um, so, you know, 2015 seems far away at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I'm sort of multi-talented in like what I like to do. I, I have a good background from graffiti and spray painting all the time. So I have an easy transition to painting murals. It's like that's second nature to me. I do canvases. I like merchandise. And one of those other things that was like a passion project of mine was to have the Turtle Caps character as a platform for other people to, to enjoy in three-dimensional, like sort of the vinyl world. But, you know, you start out going through the process of it and actually paid um, this guy. He was like a studying his master's degree at like an art school in Montreal. And he was like top of the game. And he sat me down, you know, he's like, if you're serious about this, these are my conditions. You have to come here every day for the next week. And I'm going to teach you in and out the proper way to do it. So I was like, hey, man, look, I appreciate that. Let's go for it. Sat down. He taught me all the, the, the basics of the, how to make the silicone mold, all this stuff, you know, all the way through to pouring the very first one or using the quick drying resin to make them sort of hollow because that was kind of my concept. I didn't want them like fully chunked in. So then when you put them next to like a money or a dunny or any other vinyl, it feels like 10 pounds next to that. <laughs> so his, his response was to, to, you know, school me on the quick drying resin and you're spinning it and you're spinning it. It has to be even. And, you know, he really gave me the crash course, which is what I wanted to do uh, because I feel like, if you don't go through all that trial and error of messing up and making all your resins and you just jump from one point to another, you don't have that history behind it or the true understanding of like what people did before 3D printing or anything like that, you know? So uh, for two years, I was really, you know, pumping them out, pumping out the customs. I, I couldn't even keep up with all the commissions that I was taking. Um, and it was really tough for me because it could be a really successful you know, avenue to go to, except I'm painting a building on Saturday or I have three shows to catch up with, or I'm doing a collab with Chris right now. And, you know, I didn't really have the exact time to go full time with that, uh, the toy game, uh, but I loved it. And I, I still pop them out once in a while resin. I'm still working on the project where I can get them as a blank vinyl because when I was, you know, doing them a lot from 2015 to 2017, that was like the number two thing. Like somebody would ask me to do a turtle caps, Captain America, and I'd knock it out, you know, but then there was other people like, you know, up and coming artists that were like, Hey, can I get one of those blanks? I got a great idea for it. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to, to delve back into that world and I've had some plans going on to, to make that happen. So hopefully, you know, next time I do an interview with you guys, your whole toy world, the uh, side the audience will know who I am at that point. <laughs> Um, but it's, 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 you know, it's, it's from the heart and, you know, I think the characters just works great as a vinyl or, you know, for other people in 2017, I actually was like trying to get my moves going where I gave out, made 20 of them. I gave one to Seth, I gave one to Chris, I gave one to Claw Money, uh, you know, just all the top guns that I knew and we were going to do a show. I had the gallery, everything like that. And then a month before the show was supposed to go off. The gallery's lease was coming to an end. Landlord came. He said, it's $2,000 more if you want to, per month, if you want to renew it. Gallery didn't renew and we lost the space. So there's like 20 painted resins out there, turtle caps that like all-stars houses just sitting on their shelves. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that never wanted to half-ass. So I did it like the right way. And uh, it, it's a really cool you know, world to be at that level if you could go full time with it. Yeah, it's definitely hard to be the resin maker though yourself, and you know, also try to juggle that with managing your art, your art career as well. <laughs> it really was, you know, and that that was the only downside of things. Like, it's so fun. I would just want to give up everything else <laughs> and start making toys like nonstop. So, but you know, I, I think one of the things that keeps people interested in is that like you might see me in the gallery but you might see me under train tracks also i still you know no matter how many legal walls i get i still paint train tracks every week during the summer or under bridges abandoned buildings stuff like this so it's just something that's always going to be inside me i guess 
but yeah, I'd be able to, to, to have more time to just be able to knock out toy after toy. I have so many ideas. Uh, it, it's kind of funny that you talk about, you know, you mentioned how each, even each borough had its own style and trying to explain that to like the layman and trying to even explain how each city had its own hand style. And like, you could tell not really, not really so much anymore, but especially in the nineties, you were able to tell who was from where by their hand style. They're throwies too. Yeah, absolutely. Nowadays. I mean, it's kind of this, uh, I don't know. To be honest, a lot of the letters I look at them, I'm just like, why, why are they so like rudimentary? Like, why is it so just not something that I'm, I'm interested in looking at? I think it's because the internet, you know, I think the internet has watered it down where you can get an instructional video on YouTube about graffiti, you know, like back in the nineties and the eighties, like you would learn from the next generation that was teaching you. So it was coming from a different place, not like from a screen, you know, that would take you somewhere and like you'd paint, you'd watch and you'd pick up tips and, they didn't have fancy caps back then, you know, it was all stock cap. So it was about how you kind of angled your hand or how you controlled everything. Now you have 45 different caps kind of can just spray and it does it itself. You know? Wait, what do you Um, mean? There there wasn't transparent black back then? What do you mean? (laughs) You had to go, uh, rack, uh, Matt, you know, kitchen, kitchen magic caps or, you know, spray and wash. Sneaker, Uh, sneaker cleaner. You know? So it it was, I think it, because it's, become more available and readily right in front of you, spoon fed. Anybody nowadays can just look and kind of pick it up. Whereas before, if you weren't part of the scene, like it's like its own little community, you know, like everybody else is an outsider and you're a writer and nobody else matters unless they're a writer. So again, you know, like you see people and you're like, oh, that looks like this. Well, because he just looked at 500 pictures on Instagram of that guy, you know, that's true. I mean, that's the thing right now. I mean, it, it, it amazes me how like, like biting isn't called out like it used to be. And it, it yeah. amazes me how like people just say, you know, Oh, that's Baba. He does this guy's style. It's like, no, you don't do that guy's style. You should be coming up with your own style. You, you know, Definitely. And, and that that's, that's confusing to me. It's, it's almost like they're trying to like, groom like the replacement you know like from when this person stops writing as much so now we have this person to fill the void it's it's weird yeah it's it i mean the whole thing is weird we're now like nike is like hiring graffiti writers to do ad campaigns when before you're looked at as like a a gang member or dangerous or loser or stupid now people and unfortunately i think the acceptance of all that came out of street art Oh, yeah. Um, Because street art was like the way that people were being exposed to spray can art on a massive level. If you're looking at 20 throwies uh, on the side of a building, I'm looking at him like, oh, I know that guy. Oh, I've seen that guy. This guy, I don't know, but look at that. He has good style. But then some, a regular person is seeing a giant mural on that same building afterwards with flowers and, you know, jungle animals. And they're like, this is amazing. But in reality, you know, they're both done with spray paint. One just evolved out of the other, but it was sort of backwards where the street art was the first recognized. And now you have street artists saying, no, 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 don't, you know, put that down because this is where we got it from. And that's only where people are realizing now graffiti is its own art form. Uh, but I mean, like Fat Joe and all these guys that used to use TAT and KRS and have big murals already back in the day. It's just people were like associating with hip hop and, and yeah. you know, negative stuff. But really, like it's been going on forever. The yeah. Harlem Hall of Fame wall. Look at that. Oh, yeah. How long has that been going? Yeah. I used to love going up there when I was a kid. Just, to, yeah. just hopping on the train, going up there, just like, using like three rolls of film. Right. Oh, That's another thing. Rolls of film. Yeah. Most of the time, anybody that documented was well off in life, you know, and like, you'd have to wait for somebody to give you doubles of something you did, or you just didn't even really care. Oh yeah. The trade, trade in pictures was a whole, that was a, that was a fun time. Jesus. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine if people were still stuck in that same system of like developing film and, and trying to get somebody like 
you wouldn't have that same insta fame where you're all of a sudden you know popular because somebody sees you on the internet painting your backyard 30 times you know but <laughs> uh, that, that guy had to buy rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of film you know like it would be a different story well i think too you know the internet you know made it more consumable for people that weren't on the on the coasts you know kind of like uh you know when chris was running around taking rolls of film everywhere he had access to it whereas somebody that grew up in you know kansas wouldn't have access to any of it so now the internet kind of made a pl even playing field but like you guys are saying that creates this idea of oh i'm going to take this piece that i like from this guy and this piece i like from that guy and then they slide them all together and then it becomes unrecognizable as a as a style or from a location you know, it kind of happens in music and everything you know once a style kind of becomes popular people pull a little bit from this style of music and then they pull a little bit from that style of music and suddenly it's its own like new thing that's unrecognizable. Then you end up with a uh, Limp Bizkit. I don't know. Something that's like pull a little bit of rap and a little bit of metal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's essentially kind of the same thing, right? But yeah. You know, pros and cons, like it's good for, you know, the, the movement that some kid in Idaho can see what like decent style looks like and maybe get a better chance. Cause you didn't really have that back in the day you kind of just were exposed to like what i used to go like cut school jump on the train head of the bronx into the most you know destroyed rotten dangerous neighborhoods but go like climb the rooftops and look at burners like king b and people like this and be like okay so he does his k like that and i could change that into an r and i'm like learning on the spot where you know like who knows what could have happened in any of those missions i took just to go look yeah. You know, where uh, you're just sitting on your couch and you're like, oh, I'm a king. <laughs> you know, look at the style I made up. Were, were people making kind of, you know, careers out of graffiti back then, though? Not really. There was a yeah. like a real slim handful. Like I, I refer to TAT crew a lot because that's who I remember, like popping up in videos and stuff like this. There was a guy that used to write Reese, R-E-A-S, A-O-K crew. And now he has like a booming like fine art career but during those times he was drawn for like he was drawing his graffiti character into dexter's laboratory working freelance for like things like that like animated cartoons and unless you knew like reese's style you would never pick that up but uh, basically that whole cartoon is like based off of reese and he's even had some like things in there that say reese where he's done um so there was like few guys that really capitalized on it but graffiti's like from the essence like it's not something that you want to ever capitalize on. So I think a lot of people stayed away from it just because of that. Right. Well, it, the way the purity. Yeah, but there's there's always been so there's always been like those pockets of time where the art world will kind of pay attention to graffiti and then they kind of they got bored of it. And that's not what happened now with street art. And that's mainly from my my perspective on it, is that the people our age are the ones who have the money now. So back in the eighties when like crash and, and all Dante. these guys are showing and Dottie are showing, you know, and, and they, you know, they have pieces up in times square and this, that next thing. Those like that art world was interested in it, but it wasn't as like widespread as now. It died because, down. Yeah. Because back then those were all like rich white guys with money, just trying to spend money and kind of launder it somewhere. half the time. And right. after a little bit of the hood at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And then, you know, then you had like a big kind of dead time and, and it was probably like around, I would say from like 84 to like, you know, 90 kind of graffiti went kind of back underground a lot. Yep. But then like in the early nineties, you had like Sprite doing commercials with some of these guys <laughs> and a lot of those guys, you know, you know, for example, like, like Zymad and stuff like that, like he was doing like, you know, jackets for certain different, like hip hop artists. And, you know, you get paid like, you know, a thousand dollars for a jacket or whatever. That's awesome. But at the same time, was there enough constant flow to kind of keep you employed, you know, right. doing that? And well, that's why I kind of answered. Yeah. It was a, a select few because yeah. nobody really able to take it to a business like you right. asked, you but, know? then that was then. And then like, you know, the nineties, you know, you did have things like, you know, you had Tats crew, you had FX crew, yeah. you know, you had those guys who, you know, even DF, you know, all those guys were doing these crazy, crazy murals and productions and, yeah. and they were getting attention for it. But 
a lot of those guys ended up kind of going into animation fields mm-hmm. or like real kind of not graph stuff, but graph adjacent kind of, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, I grew up doing characters. Like I was always the character guy with my friends. So like for me, I would have went into something like animation if I actually was smart, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> but you know, like it, it's just like, that's how it kind of worked, especially in the nineties, the mid to late nineties, you know, those yeah, guys sub was doing yeah. stuff for Disney. Yeah. Well, he drawn rats at the time. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think it was him and cause worked for MTV. Yeah. He did Doug, but you, but you, you see, like it was like a graph adjacent kind of thing. Yeah. Definitely. You know, na- nowadays, a lot of these guys can make a living by just selling work. Yeah. Which is crazy. And who knows how long it's going to last because every, regardless of what anybody says, every art scene comes to an end. You know, yeah. the reality of it is, is uh, they're going to be the ones who kind of stick to it and, and paint train tracks every weekend because they still love it. Or are they going to sit there and, you know, kick dirt and get pissed that, you know, they're not selling work anymore? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that agitates people over that is a lot of the, I guess, street artists or fine artists that incorporate graffiti into their thing. Like, you know, draw a beautiful girl, but her hair is all tags. Mm-hmm. But the tags look like garbage, but the mainstream loves it. So when a writer sees that, it's discouraging because these people are using stuff from the culture but they never wrote graffiti before you know they never put in the work or hit a lot train or anything like that but here they are doing bad tags inside a hair of a, a beautiful girl and that's great all of a sudden well, what happens to the guy who actually knows how to do that tag right well it's kind of like those people who use the graffiti font in like on the yeah. computer <laughs> you know and, and I, that used to flip me out because i'd be like bro your, your e is not going to be identical like that second E wouldn't look exactly like your first E. Stop. No, nothing even like it. Yeah. <laughs> Half the time you're doing a lowercase E and an uppercase E in the same tag. <laughs> right, right. You know, I've done that before, yeah. you know, like at the use a small case E inside my tag. And then when I write the one, use yep. a t- a, an uppercase. But yeah, you know, that that's just little people. Look, I don't hate on anybody. People are allowed to do what they want. But I just find like when you do stuff like that, it's not from a genuine place like Oh, graffiti's a hip now. Let me draw a rhino made from graffiti. And the letters are just like all over the place and crooked and the arrows don't look right. I'm just looking at it like this guy just used the font off the computer. You know, like you said, like the mainstream doesn't know all the time the difference between good or bad. And how many times have you seen a mural of a girl and like one of the eyes looks like it's on her forehead. People are like, beautiful mural today by so-and-so. It's like, really? Bro, you don't I eat that eye over there. You, you just like passing that. Yeah. Bro, me, me and Venge would just, we would just look at stuff and just be like, what the fuck? Especially, especially like when people do like famous people, because when you do famous right. people, and I've always said this, it's cheating because it, it literally gives somebody like, you know, you throw the mole on it and oh my God, it's Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. It's Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> if her eyes are cross-eyed, too close right. together. You know, her hairline is a, is all jacked up, like, but it's got that mole, so it's, it's Marilyn Monroe. It's like, come on. Oh, come on. Uh, again, you know, people are allowed to do what you want, but in my opinion, you know, like, on the times that, like, I, I do maybe do a girl or something in my thing, I'm going to sit there all night, skip bed if I have to make sure that I matches properly. You know, I'm not going to just, like, call it a day and be like, nobody's going to notice. They're just going to like it for this. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like, why well, do it half-assed if you're going to do it, you know? Well, yeah, it's crazy, too, because the the other thing, like you said, is, you know, beautiful piece by blah, blah. There's so much backing that gives a validity, and nobody calls anybody out on any of it. And I don't know if you remember back in the, it was like the mid-2000s, maybe late 2000s, there was a guy going around, and he was splashing all of the street art. Mm-hmm. They, they used to call him the splasher. He would basically just take you know, a color paint and just splash the street art over in Brooklyn, especially. And all these guys were getting so upset about it and so hurt because those pieces were being destroyed. But it was kind of funny seeing that happen because they almost kind of maybe understood how the graffiti writers were feeling when they were getting buffed so easily. Right. You know, because that's the thing, you know, especially in the mid two thousands, you know, you know, you put up a, a wee paste, it's going to run a whole lot longer than if somebody does a fill in. And 
it's because people see, oh, look, it's a it's a cute character. I don't mind it. Then once it's you know rap letters, they want to destroy it. You know, they want to get rid of it. it it's it's crazy. It's a it's a delicate balance between oh, yeah. even you know, and you're you're absolutely right. Like the public doesn't always perceive the thing that could be the originator of it as what's beautiful or not. Art's all in the eye of the beholder, obviously. You know, you look at my character. One guy, I remember like when I first started it and I, I got on Instagram and I was doing stuff in the very beginning, early days of Instagram. And I'd get messages like, yo, this is great. Can you send me sticker packs? And then like, I'd be like all gassed up, like, haha, this guy likes my stuff. And the next message would be like, that shit sucks, man. It's corn. Stop. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I learned really early on, like not to, not to just, you know, just do what you got to do and don't worry about any, what anybody says, because you're never going to please everybody all the time. You just keep your head down and, you know, work hard and do what you love. Then I guess that's all that matters at the day. But it took me a while to get over, like getting praise from somebody. Uh, you know, I had this guy tell me once um, that him and his daughter loved my stuff and he was a divorced dad and got his daughter on the weekends and they made it a point to go around the Lower East Side and try to find different turtle caps so it helped him bond with his daughter. You That's know? awesome. And then you get a graffiti writer like, yo, you went over one of my market tags, I'm going to kick your ass. And it's like, <laughs> all right, where's the balance here? Okay, you know what? I'm just going to ignore everybody. Like, thanks for the props. Thanks for the hate mail. I'll just put it, file it all in the same cabinet, you know? comedy do you think some of that stems from and we've talked about some of this in prior episodes but that graffiti specifically in the 80s 90s early 2000s was more of an exclusive type scene versus street art kind of has like a everybody come enjoy it kind of feel like inclusive you know kind of feel to it yeah definitely i mean like i said earlier in the episode sometimes you'd go up to somebody and be like hey right and they would just snub you and walk away it was like even inside that exclusivity was still broken down into many little groups that hated each other or loved each other. Um, so the fact that street art is, I guess, really mainstream right now where, you know, how many people, uh, like I've, I've gotten a little bit of a reputation of being too honest to people um, with turtle caps, as turtle caps over the past you know decade or so, because how many people have I met in New York that's like, Oh, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I do street art. I do this. I do this. I do this. And then they do it for like a year and a half. They think they're the coolest thing when they see you. And then they get arrested and it becomes a whole different ball game. You know, they're sitting there in jail upset and then they never do street art again. You know, so there's this like almost revolving door of like who has the, the, the energy and the, the, the heart to like put in that time. Like you get arrested, like, all right, I'm going to wait till my ACD is over and I'm going to go right back at it. In the meantime, I'm going to do this to enhance my street art game or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've been brutally honest with people that are just like, how come you don't like to hang out with me? Or how come you don't call me? Or this, this, that. I'm like, <laughs> look, man, in five years, if you're still going strong, then we'll go out and paint under a bridge or something. But, like, the revolving door of people that want to just be street artists. And now you got photographers that were documenting street art, trying street art. It's just... Well, they also saw exit through the gift shop, right? <laughs> yeah. To take my dad out to go do street art and have an 85-year-old man be the new thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I've said it you know, a million and one times. It's like people like to treat street art as like the community college of the art world. Like it's an easy in. You know, you, you do a few things and everybody pays attention to you. Then you're in galleries and now you stop doing the street stuff and you're now a contemporary artist or you're a political artist or you're this kind of artist and this kind. So it's like an easy in for a lot of these people. And a lot of them end up going to school for art. So like they come out, you know, with a portfolio, they show it to a building and you know, these people who didn't put in any kind of work are getting buildings. They're not even getting walls. They're getting buildings and coming from the time that we know how impossible was it to get a fucking wall back in the nineties? There was no getting walls back in the nineties. It was no. like going to hall of fame spots. You were hitting buildings. You were hitting train tracks, tracks, trains. If, if you were lucky enough to, to get a wall, it's because you went there and then they told you, Oh, you got to come this day when the, when the building manager's here, then you go that day. And then the village manager tells you, Oh no, the building owner's not here. And it's like a whole big long thing. And then finally you get to maybe, you know, paint one piece on the building and then, 
if they didn't like it, they just painted over it. You didn't get paid for it. Nobody gave you supplies. Yeah. You know, um, in the early 90s, sort of like to, to break that constant getting turned down, asking for walls all the time in the neighborhood and stuff. A couple of my friends and I, we were lucky enough to get involved in this program that we developed, that we had major legal wall on the building down in Long Island City that became, you know, kind of famous. But that was our way of, like, getting our writer friends to get a fame spot. It was called, like, the Fun Factory program. And it was just an opportunity that wasn't out there. Like you said, like, how hard was it to get a wall? Yeah. When we came upon this building, we just, we, we played our cards right and we worked deals out and we made it the entire place legal um, and set up a whole program where, you know, we had like a permission slips and people coming in to paint. And, I mean, look, man, we had cause at the fun factory, uh, which went from like, it uh, went from like 94 to 99 to 2000. But a year or two before that, it was a graffiti terminators program where they would go around and buff graffiti. And then <laughs> once people got arrested, they would send the, the person who got caught doing graffiti to the graffiti terminators to go do community service and buff. Jeez. And one of my friends just so happened to get arrested, sent to the guy, befriended him, showed him like, hey, look, graffiti just isn't all tagging. There's piecing, that, the piecing aspect to it. And gave us a shot. And then the guy loved it. He had a total 360, ended the graffiti terminators and moved it towards the Fun Factory uh, legal wall program. So in the you know, mid 90s to, to the 2000, like, this was like one of those places where we would give people opportunity instead of like getting turned down a hundred times from other people. It's crazy. I remember 95 hearing about that. And I was at, I was actually at FIT and I think I was talking to Chris Torres. He, he mentioned it to me. I'm like, wait, what? There's a, there's a legal spot. He's like, yeah, it's called the fun factory. It's out in the Queens. And the next thing I know is like, you know, here I am, you know, on the train with all my friends going to check this place out. It was amazing. Wow. Did you get down? down and look around you probably may have seen me if it was on the weekends or it was in the early years because i was there like all the time yeah um, we, you know just walking around taking pictures and whatnot you know i didn't i didn't paint at the time but anyway right. I, you know it was it was incredible chris was one of those rich kids with all the film yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. yes yes i was that was that was, you know what's funny is that was like one of the the the, the most expensive things and I, I had to stop doing it because I just couldn't afford it anymore. And then yeah. everything started turning digital and, and everybody's like, Oh, you need a camera with this many megapixels. And I'm like, all right, well, how much is a camera? You know, with one megapixel back then it was like $600. It was like well, one megapixel. Now I have a phone that has how many? It's insane. <laughs> if you took a, if you looked at those pictures from, you know, now <laughs> oh, yeah. you'd, you wouldn't even be able to make it out. But back then you right. would have been like, Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like, and then that place, you know, it was like ahead of our, of the times there wasn't really any place like that and and to to lay the foundation for it was really cool like i mean in like i think it was like 97 we had um Cess, t kid cycle and cause come down and paint burners right there in the front you know like we had like a lot of big names come through there early on in the 90s that you know causes legend now in his own right you know but to just have like little is the whiz and you know yeah. and i got to paint a piece with is the whiz that's you know, awesome. like that couldn't have been the coolest, more, you know, cool honor. And in, in the piece that was next to him, he even was like, yo, what, you're not going to throw me up in your piece? I'm like, <laughs> well, you got a piece there. I didn't think it would be appropriate. I mean, you're is the whiz. He's like, nah, man, throw me up right in your piece. And I'm like, okay. You know, That's so awesome. like these little moments that were, I guess, buried in history that they played a minor impact onto like where that location became, you know, in modern times and stuff and what everything that happened with that building. It's incredible. So when you when you had the store, the store was in New York or was the store? It was in Queens. The location is actually a Starbucks today. <laughs> oh, nice. So at at that time, were you painting or were you just taking time off? You know, I was still doing graffiti at the time. You know, I still, my, my whole circle of friends was all writers. So people, you know, I'd be working like all day, close the store, go home, do computer work, maybe try to find some food. And then like, you know, somebody would come over and be like, Hey, let's go bombing. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, let's go. And kind of do it as like a part-time thing. Cause like, I really never expected the toy store to take off and it did. And it was kind of just life consuming for me. 
Well, that's an, it's insane thinking of like having those exclusive figures back then, you know? Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody kind of sees, you know, something like transformers, it, they're kind of everywhere now, you know? And when you did that, that was pre like the, the big boom of like, hey, you know, um, the first, I was one of the top sellers of halo action figures on the East coast. I was even out, they used to do it um, like per location. So I was even out selling Toys R Us. Oh, so wow. after like being, you know, I kind of like shifted like a little bit away from like G.I. Joe's and Star Wars, not so much and putting more into to Halo stuff, Halo 2 and all these video game stuff. Um, Microsoft just saw my numbers were impressive and offered me, uh, you know, 5,000 of an exclusive figure. And I was like, wow, you know, they flew me to Chicago. We had like, you know, suit interviews, like I had a totally different life, you know, uh, they walked me through the process with the two ups and this, and do I want that? And what color is this? And, you know, the whole nine. And once Microsoft uh, made that deal with me and it came out, then Transformers looked at me and like, oh, this guy sells a lot of Transformers too. Let's give him one. So I wound up with like a Bumblebee statue. So, you know, it, it was a, a completely different world from then and now. And I don't think one was more stressful than the other because being a full-time artist is also like you're running a business and, and a little bit more of like selling yourself than selling like Star Wars, but equally rewarded in both ways. But at, at some point I just had to step away from it. There was just too much going on. It was getting too big, too fast. And the, the 2008 um, housing crisis and the market crash and all this stuff, people stopped buying toys mm. and I actually made it through fine. I had some months that were really bad, but I was able to not go under like everybody else. But at the end of the day, I was just like, what happens if I had a family or something? And those like three, four months where I was eating ramen, you know, I would be letting down my family. So maybe retail isn't the way to go. And somehow wound up in an even more, you know, self-promoting job of trying to sell someone a piece of art that they might like, you know? But it, everything happens for a reason, you know, from, from all the graffiti through the fun factory to even like editing stuff for high times. And it all plays down to this one particular moment where I have a career with something I love. It's definitely awesome. Well, guys, we've been talking for a while, so let's go ahead and start to wrap the episode up. Turtle Caps, if you want to go ahead and toss out your social media so people can find you on the old Internet. Sure. Um, it's Turtle Caps, one word. And basically, you can find me on Twitter with that, Instagram, uh, also www.turtlecaps.com if you want to see a little bit more of my work that maybe I don't post on social media all the time. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed this. We covered a bunch of different topics. You guys are all great. And, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to let the listeners out there know a little bit more about myself and my character. Awesome. And Chris? Uh, at Chris RWK or at Robots Will Kill. And Corey? Strange Cat Toys on all social medias and strangecattoys.com. And I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UBD Toys or UBDtoys.com. Before we roll out, we do want to say thank you once again to our sponsors. First up, Stickerfied. Stickerfied.com. No Love City. No Love City.com. SD Prince. SD Screen Printing.net. And TYO Toys. TYOtoys.com. This has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it. Just think about it.
and I can't believe all the bull that I find. Life is overwhelming, heavy is the head that wears the crown. I love to be the one to disappoint you when I don't fall down. But you don't understand when I'm attempting to explain. Because you know it all and I guess things will never change. But you might need my hand when I'm falling in your home. Your disposition I'll remember when I'm letting go. It's over.